The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history, and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber, but made possible through a phenomenal partnership with Dolphin Image Studios. Our producer from Dolphin Image Studios is Nate. Hey, Nate, tell our listeners a little bit about your studios. All right. Dolphin Image Studios is a uh, full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000 square foot soundstage, psych wall, LED wall, and a podcast studio. If you want to find us, just go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios. We believe it's important to continue to release our podcast throughout the coronavirus crisis. We hope that you find these as a nice diversion to something very heavy we are all going through right now. My job has changed over the last few weeks, and at the Chamber, we continue to promote our local business community, but how we promote and how we communicate with our businesses and the community has adapted to, quote, the new normal. I want to encourage every one of you listening to this podcast to make a pledge to invest your money in our local community. The regulations and government guidelines are changing daily, but we can adapt to those while continuing to support our neighbors. And when this is all over, and it will end, we will be here to help you rebuild. This podcast would not be possible without our chamber investor businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Neeks Real Estate. Winter Haven was rated by Realtor.com as our number one hottest real estate market. Do you need help navigating your home search? Neeks Real Estate LLC is owned and operated by broker Realtor, Carla Meeks. Carla has over 14 years of experience in residential and commercial real estate, as well as her GRI designation. Her office is located at 1510 North Broadway Avenue in Bartow, but Carla is actively involved in all of Polk County. Call or text Carla at any time. She would love to help you buy, sell, build, and invest in Central Florida. 863-604-9287 or visit CarlaMeeksRealtor.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-M-E-E-K-S Realtor.com. In today's episode, we are featuring part two of our interview with Mr. Lem Gethers, Winter Haven's first black city commissioner and mayor. We aired part one of Lem's interview last week, which featured his story growing up in Winter Haven and serving in World War II. Today, we learn more about his life in civil service to this community. 
I'm joined again by my special co-host for today's episode, Mr. Rick Danzler, former state legislator. Rick's dad, Dick Danzler, worked very closely with Mr. Gethers through the civil rights movement and the acquisition of land to ensure that Polk State College campus came to Winter Haven. Uh, You've been involved in civic involvement your whole life, it sounds like. What was it like when things began to change? Or more specifically, how did things begin to change? Well, I finished high school without ever going to the public library. And that was one thing uh, that that I was interested in. You know, it, it's no issue now because anybody can learn anything you want, you know, Google or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but I went to the library and spoke to Carl Strang about it. And he invited me to sit in the meeting. And I um, started going to the meeting. Then I became a member. Now, that was back in the 50s. And shortly after that, we ended up hiring a young black lady. I don't remember her name. But then after a while, it was open to everybody. And that was before the Civil Rights Bill passed. It's unbelievable what people can do. In this history book for the city of Winterhaven, the lady wrote the book, visited. And in that book, it says that called the names of Mrs. Smith and Carl Strang and the people that were in the meeting, and there was another person unknown to me. That was me. At that time, my name couldn't be mentioned. Wow. Oh, wow. Can you imagine? I didn't exist. Mm. And the newspaper at the time was the same way. Things that happened some kind of way. As early as 1954, my brother finished med school came to Winter Haven, was admitted to Winter Haven Hospital with full privileges. That didn't happen in Tampa, uh, Orlando, anywhere. Wow. Because of people like Benny Barnes and, and some other people. And Dr. Barnes had been our family doctor. And they accepted my brother, even though as a patient, I had to go in the basement where they had some rooms for minorities, you know, where the kitchen is downstairs. That's where we went. But my brother, as a medical doctor, had full privileges at the hospital. Did your brother ever talk about um, what his daily life was like? Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, he did. It was the same thing because people are the same. He uh, would mention to me sometimes that they had had a medical meeting and there was somebody... In the, in the meeting, who would say, hey, hey, you guys, I want you to join the country club that we are building out there, Lake Region, so we can have a place where people can't go, nobody mm. can go but us. He was sitting in the meeting. But but we were so used to taking stuff like that. It, it didn't matter with them, you know. But no. that was the way it was. And it, it's just so amazing to have lived through all of that and see how much improvement has been made, even though you hear people complaining about what it is today. I want to talk about this period of transition. I know my father was mayor from 1960 to 63, I believe. Yeah. And that was when integration was occurring all across the country. And it was occurring here in Winter Haven as well. 
And um, I know that you and my father had a number of experiences together. He talked about what a giant you were in helping to lead the city through that difficult time. But can you recount any of those experiences that you and dad perhaps had? Oh, yes. And, and I'd like to say prior to that is that uh, as a kid, I was always working. And of course, uh, we worked for the Clem family, uh, whose uh, main house was the whole block where the library is now. That was the grandfather Clem. And my dad uh, had worked on the Clem Grove and on, I think that's 2nd Street. It was the same street that the uh, uh, Dassler business. You That's remember right. your dad used to sell cars? My, my grandfather had the Hudson car dealership uh, Hudson, back then. Uh, Hudson car dealership. I had to pass by there every afternoon, and I spoke to your dad and everybody. I always spoke to people, and they'd always speak back because they had just been seeing me pass all the time. Then sometime I was right across the street when I came down to the main Clem house for the old granddaddy Clem, paper around the edge, and they hadn't finished there. I'd be picking up the paper there, and I'd always spoke to people. Some people spoke to me, and others didn't. I remember Mr. Lee that used to run the newspaper. He used to come out in the afternoon, and he saw me, and I'd speak to him, and he'd always speak back. Other people came out, I'd say something, and I'd say, no, I was used to that. So, when, you know, somebody didn't speak, I just ignored it. But I was a country boy. And I speak to everybody, but but that's the way it was. But in, in, in those days, um, I hope I answered your question. Well, the, the restaurants were segregated at one point, and I know Dad talked about a time when you and he got with the restaurant owners and said, look, guys, this is coming sooner or later. Let's go ahead and get ahead of it and do it on our own terms. And there were a lot of those kinds of things that I think showed great foresight among the leaders of Winter Haven from that generation. Okay. That was during the time of that first human relations committee that we had in the city of Winter Haven. We seem to have been a bit ahead of, ahead of some other uh, places, but we couldn't meet in City Hall, but we used to meet in the offices of Connor. Uh, Connor and Summerlin? Yeah, Connor and Summerlin in, in their boardroom and, We'd have all these discussions, and of course, we discussed uh, having the restaurants open because we had a lot of tourism here, like Winston-Salem, North Carolina, had integrated all their uh, uh, restaurants and stuff, and because the city didn't want disturbances here like they had a whole lot of places, and mm -hmm. we, we tiptoed through the tulips and, and just went around and made surveys and it ended up that the majority of the places did not want to do it. And the main one of those was Marshall's Cafeteria. We even got a wire back from the headquarters of Montgomery, Alabama, saying, no, don't integrate. Wait until a uh, civil rights bill passes. If it passes, then we'll integrate. But that's where they had some disturbances mm -hmm. where people demonstrated down in front of Marshall's, and the city of Winter Haven was trying to settle that. Because that was the main place where the minority con contestants, you know, mm -hmm. went, you know, at the biggest place in town, you know, on mm -hmm. those corners. And, boy, they were, there were some pretty serious confrontations. But your dad and some of us were interested in seeing to it that our own police department didn't get involved in taking sides. Because in many cities, the police department uh, 
went along with the people who were fighting the protesters, and we didn't want that to happen here. And we were successful with that, and, you know, it, it, it worked, you yeah. know. And uh, I, I recall that there were, at one point was going to be a protest of some sort on Lake Silver, on the shores of Lake Silver, and uh, Dad and I think you met with the police chief and said, you have to treat everybody the same way. We're not going to play pay- favorites here. Oh, oh, yes, we were there, and, of course, we were sitting in the car just to observe and uh, see to it that it all went right, oh, okay. And I, I'm so glad we did because I, I remember other places that had uh, similar circumstances and people got to fighting and hitting each other. But it didn't happen here in Winter Haven just because of the activities that, that we had through this committee. And the golf course. Yeah. You integrated oh, the golf course. Oh, yeah. We integrated the golf course in the city of Winter Haven uh, before the Civil Rights Bill passed. And uh, uh, we explained that if we if somebody took us to court, that the group would uh, win anyway because they had, had a case in Jacksonville where the people who filed suit against the city and they won. But here we were able to do it. And then we... Right in the Human Relations Committee, we negotiated a deal with the guy who operated the golf course. You know, during those times, cities let a private owner or a business run it to keep from getting in trouble to say that they were not segregating the facility, which was paid for by everybody. But um, I can't even think of the name of the guy, but we negotiated a deal with him and uh, I can remember uh, some people visiting that uh, meeting and said, well, that deal that y'all negotiated, it was kind of bitter pill to swallow. And I told the lady, yes, it is, but it ain't as bitter as the pill we've been swallowing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but, but, but the, the guy who wanted some special concessions, uh, after a month, it worked so well. Because here, the people were playing together. Right. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. black and white guys were playing together, and it was no problem. And uh, we had had uh, uh, some famous people uh, running the golf course, and then we had this black guy who, the Owens guy who was a veteran and was very successful at golf, and he played, he was there as a caddy, and then he started playing golf. And his daddy was one of the operators of the maintenance of the golf course. And there's something in the national golf industry history about them in the city of Winter Haven and well, how I, well they operated it. I know you know the name Charlie Owens. Yeah, Charlie Owens. That uh, was the Charlie guy. Owens was a phenomenal golfer That's from right. Winter Haven. And I, uh, my father-in-law told me stories about when the golf course was segregated uh, blacks were only allowed to caddy. They weren't allowed to play. So my yeah. father-in-law would hire Jack, would hire Charlie Owens to be his caddy, and they'd get two holes in where they couldn't <laughs> be seen anymore. And Dick would turn over the clubs to Charlie, and he ended up winning six times on the PGA and one of the most def- decorated African American golfers of all time That's from right. Winter Haven. Lived right right by, in Winter Haven, right there by where Polk Ca- Community College, That's Polk right. State College uh-huh. campus is. Uh, tell us about. Before we get into the Polk Community College story, 
There were a number of other people from Winter Haven who were involved in the civil rights issues. Uh, Reverend Joel Atkins, for example. Uh, are there any others that you would like to mention or share stories about? Maybe even uh, Pastor Atkins, because he uh, was he was sure prominent. Yeah, well, he was. But we had Simi McNeil, who was also sheriff's deputy, and Mrs. Uh, uh, Marie Walker, and uh, uh, Mrs. Miller. Just a lot of people uh, in the African American community who uh, would help in those activities. I must say one positive thing that uh, in Polk County, we never had any problems with voting. You know, you you could hear and read of people getting killed trying to go to the polls just to vote. But as long as I can remember, I can remember my mom and Miss Hattie Hobbs and some people talking to people about registering to vote and some people over in Florence Villa that had, had people, you know, uh, registering to vote. And uh, it, it was just one of those things that was very prominent. I understand that during my high school graduation, uh, a lady reminded me that I was talking about voting in my valedictorian speech, and I was talking about the right uh, to vote and you ought to register to vote. And that was when I was in high school. <laughs> we used to have meetings out there where all of the candidates running for office would come to the auditorium on First Street to the Polk County School uh, to, to ask people to vote for them. Why do you think yeah. we were ahead of the curve in that regard? Well, Winter Haven seemed to have been a pretty advanced in good people coming together, even though you had people that were opposed to these things. Mm -hmm. And always we, we had somebody working to try to make this a better place to live. I can remember even dealing with the Ku Klux Klan when some incidents happened in Winter Haven. We had a relationship where if a minority guy had gotten beaten up by somebody and said some white people did it, within 24 hours, boy, you better believe we had it straight, and we had let the people in, <laughs> in the other community know, hey, it didn't happen like that. Mm -hmm. And I can remember mm -hmm. once when somebody beat up a guy at the high school, the band member or something that said some black people beat up the band director, and, oh, he was in bad shape. We had notification to the head of the Ku Klux Klan that I personally knew that that didn't happen. We even had a copy of the police report because it didn't happen. And the answer went something like this. No, two black guys didn't beat him up. One single white guy beat him <laughs> up. <laughs> and, oh, boy, they're so smart. Say, because it had to be a right-handed guy because the guy had the guy down, and he was banged up all on this side, the left side of his body, which means somebody right-handed punched mm -hmm. him about a hundred times. Did that ruffle any feathers that you had a relationship with the leader of the Ku Klux Klan? I mean, how is that perceived? By well, it's very necessary, uh, and you learn things as you do these kind of dealings, and that became very prominent because 
some Klan people used to call me when I first got on the city commission to let me know that there were Klan members in the One Haven Police Department. And if you don't believe it, we drive One Haven police cars to our meeting and told me where it was and what night it was. And I was stupid enough to go see. And I won't tell you exactly where the site was, the little church, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's still there. But people change. Did you see police cars there? Sure did. I'll wow. be darn. Wow. Two cars, whatever. I knew who they were. They, it was so bad that they followed my wife to work from home to school. You know, I took care of that. And I, I've always known the right people. But the police officer that followed my wife, there was somebody following him. Mm. And one day he was confronted. And he said his orders was to arrest my wife if she did anything wrong. But that was when we had a police chief that was a little bit negative, uh, but he was taken care of. But let me tell you, the city of Winnipeg has had always had an attitude where there were some people that wanted to do things right. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some people I know changed. And I don't care what your position was 25 years ago, but if you if it's negative to me and you change, hey, that, that's no problem to me. That's progress, and I think a whole lot of people need to change. But some kind of way, it's got to be we. We got to work at it. And in the case of all this stuff, your daddy was one of them we people because we worked together to really solve a lot of problems. And there were a lot of good people in this town. Uh, my mother was born on Lake Howard, right across the street from Virginia Foley Miller, who was the first woman mm-hmm. city commissioner. Mm-hmm. That was on Lake Howard. And they played together, and they knew each other all their lives. And then the next place my mother lived was on the corner of Central Avenue and 3rd Street on the north side of Central Avenue. And the First Baptist Church at that time was right across the street. She said as a little girl, they used to sit on the porch and look inside the church where the white people uh, went to church. The church is now on 2nd Street, you know, mm-hmm. but that's where it was then. Mm-hmm. And if anybody remembers uh, uh old house on Magnolia between uh, where your dad's office was and Tap Electric Company, a little frame pitch house, that built up like that. My grandfather built that house. I'll be darned. It was moved from uh, uh, central to that position, to that part. Hmm. So, uh, well, you uh, mentioned your service on the city commission. I guess it was completely logical that all your civic involvement would lead to your serving in elected capacity. How did you make the decision to run for the city commission and who helped you make that decision? Well, um, I, I had some people that I thought I would run, we had to get the things together. And uh, I had volunteered to be on the planning board, just about everything the city had. (laughs) And uh, I knew a lot about the city, and uh, I knew there were some changes that needed to be made. I um, decided to run, and I went to a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and I spoke, and my opposition was five guys. They were all good young men, but I knew more about the city business than any of them because <laughs> I'd been in everything. 
they were just running because it's popular maybe to be on the on the committee. But I got up, made my little speech, and I said, "Well, my name is Lim Gathers. I'm an American citizen, and that's what I am first. And then after that, you can call me any of them other names that y'all call people. <laughs> I said, but I will respect myself as a citizen, and I will respect everybody else as a citizen, and that will be my stand. And I really just had my whole tenure with some wonderful people on the different uh, uh, groups that we had, and some that were not so nice. Because I had one man who sat by me one time, and told me that he thought that I should not be there, and since I was there, that I should only vote on issues that concern Florence Villa. Oh, <laughs> wow. my goodness. And I just said to him, sir, I'll have you to understand that I'm a member of the city commission for the city of Winnehaven, and boy, I'll be voting on all of them. <laughs> I, said, I said, it might itch you a little bit, but you better believe and, you know, I never got angry with people about old stupid stuff like that because really people want to get you angry, and, and that's where you have confrontation, you know, that's when, when you get angry. But <laughs> but I never let any of that stuff. But Winter Haven has worked really hard. I can remember way back in the 50s, they used to have meetings in the Presbyterian Church and the Beamer Church, I think, on Lake Howard there. Sometimes we meet on Saturdays to discuss change and stuff like that. I remember a Reverend Blackwood from the Presbyterian Church. First Presbyterian. The first mm-hmm. Presbyterian. And we used to meet together. And then sometimes on Saturday morning, a group of women, including Mrs. Elsie Clem Brakeman, like in the 60s, they would invite me down to talk about what was going on in civil rights and Particularly one question they wanted to ask me, that uh, they saw this riot in Detroit and people were throwing, and then all of a sudden they saw this black businessman who had been promoted in the city of Detroit. He got caught up and he was throwing bottles too. And they were wondering, well, why would somebody who just got promoted and throw bottles. I said, I don't have the slightest idea, mm-hmm. but I can give you an idea. I said, here's a guy who had a college degree, had been working for the city in this capacity for years and years. Boy, now he's making enough money to take care of his family. And I said, um, maybe he was thinking, boy, what could I have done for my family if I had this job 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I said, that's the only thing I can think about. I said, well, I've seen a lot of crazy things in my lifetime. Well, well, I just told them things like that had happened to me. Because when I first went to Naval Air Station, Pensacola, Florida, with my orders from Bupas, that's the National Bureau in Washington, D.C., that I would be an electrician at Naval Air Station Squadron 8A, I sat there for two months before I got my first assignment. Went to work every day, sit right there. And the chief ignored me. And then suddenly we had a plane to come in called the Martin Morris, which is the largest airboat ever made by the Navy. It had an electrical problem. And I was on a night shift with a guy named Raymond Snyder. And um, they wouldn't even let me go on the boat. But he was out. They, they paddled out, went out to work on it. And he brought the blueprints back, which probably was as big as this room. And I drew... <laughs> Uh, a way for him to get out of it by pass by passing 
a certain block where they had these problems and got the stuff working that they needed to fly. Well, anyway, by 1 o'clock that morning, the chief, the guy who had never assigned me anything, came and saw me on the floor drawing out a plan, and I can tell you what it was if I had the time. But anyway, <laughs> he turned around and left. That plane flew that night back to Maryland. And the next morning he said, Lim, if you want me to, I'll let you have a 15-hour check on one of those PBYs, and I'll let blah, blah, blah show you how to do it. Well, I knew more about it than blah, blah, blah did, <laughs> but I let him show me what to do, and I made a friend, and from then on, I stayed there my whole tenure instead of getting shipped out. And it was a wonderful experience because I saw a lot of things happen. Now, when you ran for mayor, it was a citywide vote at that time, wasn't it? Yeah. And it, it was for several years. We had a strong mayor formed of, of governance back then. That, Is that that's correct? right. The people voted for the mayor, and I won it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was votes. for a several-year term. Yeah, that's right. Right. Well— do you think Winter Haven is at a point where it should consider a strong mayoral form of governance again? Well, I I I, I was I, I haven't done enough study on it because I do like the city of Winter Haven government. I think they work really hard to make the city progress, and it has gone on. Now we had over the years a few things. Because when I first got there, the city of Winter Haven just picked up anybody to be in charge of something. And along with Judge Charles Davis, we talked about hiring professionals. And if you remember, it was during our tenure that we hired the first professional city engineer and started. Mm -hmm. That's where we started the trend. And we started making some changes like public housing and the city buses. You don't believe that people had opposition to those things during that time and that we won't want a haven to be a bedroom community and let them work in Orlando. <laughs> now, y'all remember that now because the shame was involved. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, uh, that's the kind of stuff we had to deal with. I'm so happy to see what the city is doing today because we are really on top of things. And, and, and that trend... The catalyst for that was getting the college in Winter Haven. Dick Dantzler thought that that would be the catalyst for all of these other things if we got this college here. There is something about a college in a town that makes it, you know, have a certain attitude because you over a period of time you're going to get the different values that, you know, come together for, for good. But he worked hard at it. This podcast would not be possible without our chamber and investor businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Advent Health. Advent Health is a local leader in healthcare and is committed to providing care while extending the healing ministry of Christ. With the national focus on COVID-19, Advent Health would like to remind our listeners if they have questions about the coronavirus, they can speak to Advent Health experts by calling the hotline 
at 877-VIRUS-HQ. That's 877-847-8747. If you believe you've been exposed to COVID-19 or have specific symptoms of fever, cough, shortness of breath, or trouble breathing, please contact your primary care provider or go to the nearest Advent Health Center Care located in Winter Haven at 7375 Cypress Gardens Boulevard. Again, if you have questions regarding COVID-19, please call the hotline at 877-VIRUS-HQ. Advent Health is here to provide the answers that you need. Well, while we're on the topic, what do you think of the state of politics today? Well, I have never been extremely afraid for this nation in my life. It's a difference because I see some dangerous parallels that are going on right now that went on back in the 30s when we got into big trouble back then. And it's not just in this country. It's an activity all over the world. When you got people who violate the law and they are in charge of the law, that's scary. And that's where we are right now. And you have to be careful because these people, you know, they're dangerous. I just hope that we can overcome it and people can work together again. What's going on right now is just scary to me. I see the race card being played by all sides, and that's not good for the nation. I couldn't care who the president of the United States is going to be as long as they're going to be fair and just and right and follow the Constitution because there's provisions in there for things to change. It was set up pretty good. There were things that were passed during that time which need to be transferred to this time. Mm -hmm. And and I won't get into the Second Amendment like that, but I do know when the Constitution was uh, uh, written, uh, you couldn't get off. The most you could get off in a minute was like three shots. You know, you got to (laughs) poke your soaker and all that kind of stuff. You know, and, and... if you want to talk about the, uh, what the amendment says, the Second Amendment, my interpretation, since you asked me, is that meant the National Guard or something like that? I have been strapped into a 20-millimeter gun shooting. it. Boy, that's something else. Nobody, in my opinion, should be walking around with these things they got now. That's just an opinion. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of local businesses in the Winter Haven community, including our presenting sponsor, Fred Simons Insurance Agency. That's right. There's a new farmer's insurance agent in your neighborhood. Meet Fred Simons with the Fred Simons Insurance Agency located at 325 Avenue C Southwest, Winter Haven, Florida. As the road you travel changes, so can your insurance needs. 
Give Fred Simons a call today at 863-259-1826 so he can help you as you assess whether you're ready for the journey ahead. That's Farmers Insurance Agent Fred Simons at 863-259-1826. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers, Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges, and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We would like to thank our guests for today's podcast, Mr. Lemuel Lem Gethers and my co-host, Rick Dantzler. Be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, no true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home.